Chapter Twenty Three of Campfire Girls at Twin Lakes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Campfire Girls at Twin Lakes, or The Quest of a Summer Vacation, by Stella M. Francis, Chapter Twenty Three, High Sea. All the members of Flamingo Campfire gathered close together on the sandy beach after the departure of the two Graham girls, and held a low-toned discussion of the situation. There was only one thing missing this morning, Hazel Edwards observed. That was the perfume. I suppose they didn't have time to spill it on in proper proportions. I wonder why they came down here at this time of day," said Harriet Newcomb. "There must be something in the air. I bet they never got up this early before, unless their house was a fire," Ethel Zimmerman ventured. Do you suppose they wanted to be on hand to witness our discomfiture when we discovered what had been done to our swimming place? Azalia Atwood asked. That would imply that they knew who did it, and may even have been a party to the plot. Miss Ladd reasoned, and why not? Azalia returned. They don't look to me for a moment to be above it. I feel like a miserable hypocrite," Catherine declared with a sarcastic smile. "I'm not used to extending warm expressions of friendship to people for whom I haven't any use, and asking them to call and see me. Remember, you're a spy now," said Helen Nash slyly. "When engaged in a praiseworthy spy work, always remember your mother, and the pantry, and the fist in the jam." If you have any doubt as to the worthiness of your occupation, enough said," Catherine announced. "I'm convinced. The jam is well spiced, and I smell it already. I shall expect to find it on somebody's fist." The girls did not forego their morning plunge because of the removal of the safety line, but were careful to keep well within the approximate limit. Which they remembered fairly well. After about fifteen minutes in the water, they returned to the camp and donned their khaki middies. Then they had breakfast. The breakfast dishes had not long been washed and put away when another caller arrived at the camp. Although not unheralded, the appearance of this new arrival was a surprise to all the girls. For they had not rested much importance upon the promise of Addie Graham to send her brother to them to offer his assistance in repairing the damage done by some mischief maker in the night before. The young male scion of the Graham family appeared so suddenly before the eyes of the girl campers that some of them afterward expressed the suspicion that he walked timidly on his tiptoes. All the way from his home to the camp, indeed, all the members of Flamingo Fire have today a decided impression that the sound of his voice was the first notice they had of his approach. 
Whether this impression be a true one or not, that voice was enough to compel memory of it ahead of anything else. It was the most effeminately high-pitched voice the girls had ever heard. "'Excuse me, young ladies, but my name is James Graham, Jr.' squeaked the treble clef. There was a general start throughout the camp. Most of the girls were seated upon the grassy plot within the crescent arrangement of the tents, and engaged in their forenoon routine, and several of them actually dropped their craftwork into their laps, so great was their surprise. Ethel Zimmerman uttered a little cry of astonishment, in almost the same key as the announcement of the newcomer. The latter was almost as effeminate in appearance as his voice. First, he was very much overgrown and fleshy, he probably weighed a hundred and fifty pounds. His face was round and very pale, and his eyes were not over-endowed with expression. He wore a peaches and cream two-piece suit and a Panama fedora, and carried a delicate bamboo cane. My two thoughtful sisters infomed me that you young ladies were in need of the assistance of a man and I volunteered to offer my aid, continued young Master Graham. Oh, dear me, replied Catherine, it would be a shame to put you to so much trouble. We thank you ever so much for your offer, but we'd much rather retain the friendship of your folks by urging you not to insist. If you really must be so good as you suggest, you might go back and send your hostler or chauffeur but tell him to bring a pair of rubber boots that reach to his ears. This rather enigmatical answer puzzled the not very quick-witted James, Jr., and his chin dropped. You see, we want a pile driver out in the lake to sink some posts into the submarine earth, Catherine continued. But, by the way, come to think of it, you might help us wonderfully if you have a rowboat and would lend it to us for an hour or two. Sure, I've got a boat, replied the would-not-be-lady's aide, as one of the girls afterward dubbed him. The tone of relief with which he now spoke was unmistakable. I'll go and row it right over to you. We won't want it until about eleven o'clock, said Miss Ladd. If you need it between now and then, you'd better wait. Oh, we won't want it all day, James, Jr., returned reassuringly. I'll bring it right away. I hope he doesn't tip his boat over on his high sea, Hazel Edwards said generously, as the caller disappeared in the timber. He might be drowned in the billows of his own voice. That's his name, High Sea, declared Estelle Adler enthusiastically. I refuse to recognize him by any other name. Dear me, girls, did you ever in all your born days hear such a voice? No, cried several in chorus. He's just the dearest thing I ever saw, declared Ernestine Johansson, making a face as sour as the reputation of a crabapple. At this moment the discussion of high sea was dropped as suddenly as it 
had appeared upon the scene. Another arrival claimed the interest of the girls. It was a little boy about ten years old, clad in steel-gray palm-beach knickerbockers and golf cap, but not at all happy in appearance. He was a good-looking youth, but there was no sprightly cheerfulness in his countenance. He seemed nervous and on the alert. "'My goodness!' exclaimed Hazel Edwards. "'That's Glen Irving, the little boy we—' Catherine, who was seated close to Hazel, cut the latter's utterance short by clapping her hand over the speaker's mouth. End of chapter 23